Hey guys, how are you doing? This is just like a temperature check. We're still in the middle of a pandemic. Hope everybody's doing all right. And this week's birth story is really going to help uplift you. It's Savannah Stonebrook. I love her. She's like Stoney's wife on Instagram. And she had a very redemptive home birth. So I have a special passion and heart for home birth stories. I love this one. And let's get to it. Let's just go. What does a contraction feel like? How do I know if I'm in labor? And what does a day of labor look like? Wait, is this normal? Hey, I'm Heidi. My best friends call me Hydes. I'm a certified birth doula, host of this podcast, and author of Birth Story, an interactive pregnancy guidebook. I have supported hundreds of women through their labor and deliveries, and I believe every one of them and you deserves a microphone and a stage. So here we are. Listen each week to get answers to these tough questions. Birth Story, where we talk about pregnancy, labor, deliveries, where we tell our stories and share our feelings. And of course, chat about our favorite baby products and motherhood. And because I'm passionate about birth outcomes, you will hear from some of the top experts in labor and delivery. Whether you are pregnant, trying desperately to get pregnant, or you just love a good birth story, I hope you will stick around and be part of this birth story family. Hey guys, before we get started, I just wanted to share with you a little bit about Melissa Euler and Melissa Euler Coaching. She is my executive coach. And if you didn't catch her birth stories, rewind a couple of episodes and start at the beginning. So Melissa is a former finance executive turned life and leadership coach, and she's really passionate about helping women thrive. Let me tell you about how I met Melissa. I had left corporate America after 15 years, making lots and lots of money, much more than my partner. And I was feeling that urge inside to like shift, to change. My son had just been diagnosed with cerebral palsy, and I felt like I needed to be home but I also felt like I needed to be at work doing something. So Melissa helped me get really focused and creative and polish what eventually became Birth Story Media. A couple of months after I quit corporate America to take care of my child and perhaps grow a business, I found out I was going to be a single mother. My marriage was ending. And I was so thankful for Melissa Euler and Melissa Euler Coaching because she helped me grow a business in less than two years to a six-figure income. If you are feeling that nagging feeling inside of you that your life needs a shift too, maybe just a focus or a transition in your life as you're entering maybe motherhood for the first time or motherhood again, then I urge you to reach out to Melissa Euler. She has an amazing thriving mothers group coaching program and she starts everything with a discovery call. So you can book a 30 minute discovery call to get a taste for what it's like to work with Melissa. And if you book a discovery call and mention that you heard all about Melissa from my birth story podcast, she is going to give you a free one-on-one coaching session added to any package that you may purchase. That's a $200 value. 
Trust me, I pay it weekly. It is worth every dime. So all you ambitious women out there listening to this podcast, maybe you're a stay-at-home mom, maybe you have your own business, maybe you're in corporate America, maybe you've been dreaming about what's next in this next chapter. You're juggling a lot of things. I know. I was too. So I urge you to reach out to Melissa if you are on the brink of change and look for that extra support and encouragement in her. She will help you reach your goals with ease. I promise. All right, let's get to it. Well, Savannah, welcome to the Birth Story Podcast. I'm really excited to talk to you today because I just have been stalking your Instagram for (laughs) quite a while, which is at Stoney's underscore wife. So S-T-O-N-E-Y-S underscore wife. Where do you guys live? We live in Memphis, Tennessee. Oh, okay. Um, So not too far from North Carolina. My parents actually live in Bristol, so they're in the Tri-Cities area, and I go out there a little bit. Okay, awesome. Well, Savannah, the reason I've been so attracted to like your Instagram account and your story, well, first of all, you just put really good content out there, but you've been really transparent about sharing how you had a traumatic hospital experience with your first child, and then this glorious home birth after a cesarean section with little Noah that we see right here. I know this is a podcast so that people listening aren't going to see sweet Noah (laughs) nursing, but I'm looking at him and he's so cute. So today, Savannah, I really wanted to ask you a ton of questions about your first birth experience and how it went down, how you've healed though. And then like what brought you to home birth? So does that sound like a good platform for what you want to talk about? I think it's really important for people to know that there are like totally polar opposite spectrums of the birth experience for everyone, depending on where you choose to give birth and your support team and everything. So yeah, I can just start. Well, yeah, let's, Um, I need a little bit more meat though. Like tell me a little bit about your life in Memphis. Like, so you're married, you've got two kids, like tell us a little bit more. Yes. I'm married. Um, I have a three-year-old and a t- almost 10-week-old. My, I have two rescue dogs. I am very big in animal rescue. We foster dogs from time to time when I can juggle it all. After I had my son, Eli, I went to school for lactation, but I decided not to finish my IBCLC because I didn't want to be a nurse. And that job is typically for RNs. So I decided I wanted to become a doula, but I was going to wait until my babies were a little bit older. And then I had the birth experience I had with Noah. And I was like, you know what? I'm sick of holding back. I'm going to become a doula. So I'm taking my classes in March to get my certification. And then hopefully, you know, five or so years down the line, I can become a midwife because I would love to catch a baby. Otherwise, I'll end up with 743 children. So, <laughs> and rescue dogs, right? Yes. yes. <laughs> oh, which is amazing. So, congratulations. Which organization are you working through to do the classes for certifying for to be a doula? Okay. So, my friend Zoe Etkin has mm-hmm. her own organization. It's called Embodiment. Okay. And you can find her on Instagram at Zoe Etkin, Z O E. E-T-K-I-N. 
and she's embodiment doula. Her organization is very opposite of Dona. Very, very high advocacy, speak out, speak up. And and that is everything that I know that I would have needed with my hospital birth. And that's why I want to train with Zoe. And she's right now just in Memphis, but she's working on partnering with other doulas and other people who would be certified to teach others and, and get it national. So I'm really excited to, to take that training and to start helping other moms. Yeah, I'm really excited for you too. Anyone who listens to this podcast can probably get an idea of what kind of doula I am. I am number one an advocate. Oh, yeah. <laughs> like I speak up, I speak loud. Like I went to several different trainings and have different certifications and yeah. So I, I do not subscribe to the school of thought where doulas help you advocate for yourself only. Like I help my clients advocate for yes. themselves, but I also believe truly in an unmedicated birth. There is no such thing as informed consent. So you have to talk with your doula beforehand and then your doula and your partner, if you have one, have to speak on your behalf for advocacy. So that's something I'm really Yeah, and I about. totally yeah. believe that like, and Zoe believes the same thing, that the, the birthing brain just cannot give informed consent and it can't advocate for itself because it's so focused on doing this primal mammalian thing that mm-hmm. it just, your prefrontal cortex is like, nope. <laughs> so, right. So I wanted a doula training that matched the way that I think and the way that I feel so I definitely wanted to go around with someone who is more outspoken. Awesome. Well, definitely get me in touch with Zoe. I would love to talk to her too. So Savannah, like, let's get to it. I'm really excited. Let's start with Eli, your first baby, which has led you down this whole, you know, journey of doula and home birth. But let's go back to the very beginning. And what was it? 2017? I got pregnant in December of 2016. So he was born September 2017. I was 21. I was like turned 21, like six months prior to getting pregnant. We lived with roommates. We were not in the financial situation to have a baby. It was a very stressful pregnancy. We were not married. We got married while I was pregnant. We had been together five years before I got pregnant with Eli. It was so stressful being in that situation of like, oh my gosh, I'm a young mom. What am I going to do? But we got married in April. We bought a very nice home in a nice suburb outside of Memphis and everything ended up working out really well. But I did end up having mild preeclampsia towards the end of my pregnancy. So that was the big swing on everything that that went down with my pregnancy. So Um, you're young and you're healthy and you're partnered. So you have a good support system. Did you just automatically just think like, oh, I'm pregnant. I'm going to give birth at a hospital. I didn't really think much of it. We Memphis is just now opening their first birth center. And in my mind, I thought, you know, I knew by the time I was like 18 weeks, I was like, I want an unmedicated, uninterventioned birth, unintervened birth. And in my mind, I thought a birth center would be a great place for me because I didn't know enough about home birth. I thought that 
birth centers were safer than home birth. And in reality, it's kind of like the same thing. It's like, I tell people a, a birth center is like a hotel to give birth at, but that's exactly what it's center, like. So, and in my mind, I thought like a home birth sounded great, but it sounded really dangerous. So I just wasn't up for it. Obviously, I did a lot more research after him. Well, hopefully at the end of this podcast, we can dispel a little bit of that too, because I think that's a common misconception, especially when we are young and we're pregnant for the first time. And who would have done research beforehand? You know, like most people don't like listen to the birth story podcast when they're not pregnant, you know, (laughs) so. Right. um, And I have endometriosis and PCOS. I've had two endometriosis ablation surgeries. So I thought like, does that make me high risk or, you know, is that going to cause problems with my birth, whatever. So I thought, you know, stick with my GYN and go to the hospital and just try to do it the natural route there. Yeah. Now, did you hire a doula? I had no idea what a doula was. I didn't know anything about what a doula did or what the difference was between a supportive partner and a doula. And, you know, I will say that my husband is a great, like, daddy doula as far as hands-on help with, like, hip squeezes and massage and breath coaching and um, just emotional support, but no parent can truly advocate against a doctor and a hospital staff. Yeah, that's true. I was recently at a birth where it was a VBAC mom. And I mean, we're like an hour into pushing and the head is crowning and she's so funny. She's like, okay, I'm done. Like, I just want to repeat C-section. I don't want to push anymore. We were like, (laughs) Your baby is like coming out right now. (laughs) But at a hospital, if a mom says, I want a cesarean section, they are like legally obligated in that moment to like prep the OR and take her in, you know? Oh my God. So we had this weird situation where like the OB had to like back off and was like, okay, like prep the OR. And we're like, no, this is not what she means, you know? Like, this is like, she's tired. She's unmedicated. She's not giving informed consent. Like this is her husband. And they were saying like that the husband couldn't make that call for her or whatever. Thankfully, her husband and I were really pushing advocacy big and we got some sense into her and she went ahead and kept going and pushed her baby out. And at the end, she was like, thank you for not listening to me. Like, what was I talking about? You know, kind of thing. I hear you with like husbands that are amazing and doing everything right. But then like, it's just even from a legal perspective, like you have to default to what mom says. And so mom and doula or partner, whoever it is, really has to push back on pretty hard. So you are going into this hospital experience and you're starting to educate yourself and you're starting to learn and you know you want to have an unmedicated intervention, free birth. Do you want to talk a little bit about that? Like why? What was your why? A big why for me was, you know, I've had endometriosis. I've suffered from it since I was 12 years old. I've been in debilitating pain, you know, every month for years and years and years. And I was like, you know what? Like my body might seem broken now, but it made me a baby. It's not broken. I can go into the hospital and I can do this. It's, you know, pain is temporary and it's totally different when a baby comes out and I knew in my head that I wanted to kind of prove to myself that it was going to work the way that my body was created to work. 
that makes so much sense to me, Savannah, like hearing you say that. And it also makes me a little bit tearful, like hearing that, like you had been in all this pain since you were 12 years old. But I love your perspective of like, I'm not broken. My body is not broken. So, you know, what a cool philosophy from a doula's perspective. I'm like, yeah, you can do it. If you got through all those years of endometriosis, this was probably going to be a piece of cake. So let's get to, so healthy pregnancy until the end with preeclampsia. So I was still working like 50 hours a week. I was an assistant manager at a dog feed store, a holistic feed store here in Memphis. And a lot of my job was like lifting up 27 pound bags of dog food all day, every day. And I got so swollen. And then, you know, one day I I had started having migraines on and off. And one day I went in for back pain and I, you know, was pouring ketones in my urine and they were like, we're going to, we're going to keep you overnight. So at 35 weeks, I ended up on like a 48 hour preeclampsia watch. And during that time, my blood pressure kind of maintained a level of like 140 over 90 to 100 or 150 over 100 at most. But it was funny. Every When my husband was there from work, my blood pressure would be like almost normal. And then when he'd be gone, my blood pressure would be high. So I should have realized in that time that hospitals were probably not the best place for me to give birth. But And how much our mind so and our body I, are connected. Yes, yes. Um, I didn't even recognize that until years later, but I totally have that whole white coat syndrome thing going on. And so they ended up letting me go home and go on bed rest. So I had to take my maternity leave early and come home and attempt to sit on my butt for weeks, which was not fun. And at my 37-week appointment, my blood pressure was still creeping up. Nobody had ever mentioned like, hey, have you tried the Brewer's diet? Or like, let's try magnesium. Nobody ever said anything like that. So at my 37-week appointment, my doctor was like, all right, I'm just not feeling good about this anymore. We're going to induce you in five days. So we talked about it and I was like, all right, I want to avoid Pitocin if at all possible. I want to be able to walk around. I didn't have GBS. So I was like, I really don't want an IV, but I ended up getting um, IV fluids pretty much the whole time I was in labor. And I was allowed to walk around except for when we did the cytotech. So your very first appointment was at what gestation when you got put on bed rest? 35 weeks. So at 35. So you were home for two weeks. Then you go to your Mm -hmm. 37-week appointment and your provider is like, okay, I'm not comfortable with you continuing your pregnancy. Just a quick definition, preeclampsia. Eclampsia means seizures. So preeclampsia means you're like in a pre-seizure state, meaning like if your blood pressure gets kind of any higher, you're spilling too many ketones or protein in your urine it can cause seizures, which can be, you know, harmful for both mom and baby. As Savannah just mentioned, though, there are some natural alternatives like the brewer's diet, magnesium. There are even just some blood pressure medications that you can go on to, like from a pharmaceutical approach. 
but none of that was offered to you. And they were like, it's time to induce. We think that your baby is going to be safer on the outside than on the inside and that you're going to be safer on the, you know, with your baby on the outside than on the inside. I cannot even imagine what that moment was like for you. Was your husband with you? No, no. My husband was at work and I just, I just boohooed. I called him crying. I was like, this is the last thing that I wanted to happen because since I had started reading, I was like, induction means that things are probably not going to go the way that I really want them to go. But I was so scared. I was like, oh my gosh, like I could die. My baby could be in danger. They're making this sound like it's just the the worst thing in the world. And I, I don't have a choice. Yeah. And I will say 140 over 90 and 150 over 100. I mean, that's different than like 180 over 100 or 200 over 100. But it's still, it's the combination of the headaches, the Mm -hmm. protein in your urine and the blood pressure. So all of those things are kind of like, it's it's one thing to just have one of those criteria. (laughs) It's another to be kind of jumping all over the place. Okay, so they keep you. You're on Mm -hmm. IV fluids. Do you have like a written birth plan that says? I did. Okay. Got mm-hmm. it. So you're like, I want to move around. What else did you yes. want? I wanted to avoid Pitocin if at all possible. I wanted dim whiting, cervical checks only with consent. I wanted to be able to get in and out of the shower with intermittent monitoring, which my doctor had approved, but then the nurses wouldn't let me do it. After my doctor went, my doctor ended up leaving. She had gone off call and I had another doctor from the same practice who was at the last like 12 hours of my birth and ended up doing my C-section. So I did have a written birth plan, but pretty much none of the things that I asked for were honored. I'm so sorry, Savannah, because like for me, this is where meta, like my definition of medical trauma when I'm asking for something for my body and my baby and people aren't listening to me and maybe the team or there isn't someone there like advocating for me or listening to me on my behalf, this is when when medical trauma starts to occur. And so I'm assuming for you somewhere in this process, you realize I'm losing control and I also want to just Oh my gosh, yes. Yeah. So what did they end up doing for your induction? What did they do to you, I should say, really without your consent, it sounds like? After the cytotech and the Foley catheter, and I got to a five, five centimeters with the Foley catheter, I did consent to a cervical check, and then my water was broken without my consent. So now I'm definitely on the clock here. And that was really just stressing me out. That changed my whole mood immediately because I was like, I'm probably going to have a C-section now. I have a question for you. When you mm-hmm. say your water was broken without your consent, like, do you think that they broke it like with their fingernail, like when they were doing an internal check or did they take an amnio hook inside you and break your water, like without you knowing what they were doing? I'm pretty sure they used an amnio hook. Wow. Because there was a nurse and my doctor in there. Mm-hmm. It wasn't the nurse who did the cervical check. Yeah. They would have um, used an amnio hook for sure because it's sterile. For a while there, I still was like up and moving around. There was just like water gushing out. They must have ripped a massive hole because it was just, my husband will always joke about how that pair of boots um, ended up covered in my water. (laughs) (laughs) That's amazing. 
Now you are on IV fluids. They've done Cytotec, mm-hmm. which is a prostaglandin that is either inserted vaginally or under the tongue. How did they administer Cytotec to you? Vaginally. Okay. So you get vaginal Cytotec like up on the cervix. That's to soften and thin and like efface the cervix. The Foley catheter is placed when you're one centimeter dilated and that will stretch you to five or six centimeters. And then they break your water without your consent. So you're kind of getting all these things. But Savannah, I'm wondering, like, I know mentally you weren't doing good at this point, right? Like we understand medical trauma is kicking in. You're probably like, I, I have another podcast on trauma. But like, so I'm assuming you're experiencing something called disassociation where you're kind of like leaving your body, right? It was very, very much like an out of body experience. The way that I would describe like my entire birthing experience with him is almost like somebody had like locked my mind up in the trunk of a car and they were driving my body for me, but I was feeling, you know, all the bumps and curves in the road. I was being thrown and tossed around. Like my husband, he totally understands. And he's like, I feel like you kind of were kidnapped and held against your will. Like things just did not, did not go right. Especially once we started the Pitocin, that was when things just got horrible. So Uh, how was your blood pressure though? Because one of the things For me, as a doula, when I have clients that have preeclampsia, we have a real conversation about how are we going to surrender and keep our body completely relaxed in this environment? Because if our, a lot of times pain is associated with high blood pressure. So if we experience surges and we allow our brain to go pain, our blood pressure goes up and we kind of get in a worse situation. Were you ever put on magnesium? I was not put on magnesium, but at one point my doctor was like, let's try Stadol. It should help you calm down. Your blood pressure's getting a little iffy here. I think it was around like 150 over 95. So it was really starting to creep up. And I tried the Stadol expecting that it would help me quote unquote calm down a little I have never been so high in my life. It was like I was completely knocked out between surges. And then during my surges, I couldn't handle the pain. I was like on the fullest dose of Pitocin and just screaming. Yeah. So Stadol is an opioid medication and it's given by IV and it makes you super high. But again, it's kind of like, this is like one of the things I think it's really important to explain to people, Savannah, right? Like, an epidural takes away your physical pain, but like then you're mentally like cognizant of like what's going on in the world. But then like with state all, except for the trauma piece, right? Like with the trauma piece, yeah. you're still like disassociated no matter what. But like with state all, it's like your brain is drunk, but your body is still feeling everything and there's a disconnect. So like anytime our brain and our body are disconnected from each other in labor, our body can't do what it's supposed to do which is give us natural opioids and natural beta endorphins in a rhythm. So when we disrupt that rhythm, you know, maybe your body's giving you some opioids and then you're giving it more opioids and your body's like, whoa, I'm super drugged here. 
Yeah, I have never like experienced that kind of drug ever, even with like my endometriosis surgeries and stuff like that. That was just insane. I don't know how to describe it, but you put it into perfect words, I think. So I'm getting like, like as a doula, I can, I'm sure you can hear in my voice, like I'm getting tense and I'm getting angry and I'm like transported back to this room with you that I wasn't even in. And I'm <laughs> like, I'm upset, right? Like I understand medically their concern, right? But I'm like, you know, if we're not even using magnesium or blood pressure lowering medications, like you deserved a voice in that room, Savannah, like you deserved to be heard. You deserve to be educated and informed. Like so much was taken away from you. It is not surprising to me at all that that you have interpreted this. Your letter to me was, I have postpartum anxiety, postpartum depression. Well, after that birth, PPA, PPD, and PTSD. And none of this surprises me hearing your story. So here you are, my sweet Savannah, with your first baby and you're on all the things, literally, literally all the things. I mean, I don't even know what else they could have thrown at you, right? Maybe some- I don't some, think there's anything else. Maybe some Benadryl or Ambien. I mean, I don't even know. So just more <laughs> pharmaceutical drugs, but from an induction standpoint, you've run the full course. After the state all wore off, I was still on like the highest dose of Pitocin. I, I do remember at one point, like I had been begging the nurses to like lower the Pitocin or just turn it off. I was like, I just can't handle it anymore. And they wouldn't, they were like, no, sorry, we can't do that. And I literally, I remember grabbing a nurse's hand when she came in my room to change out a new bag of Pitocin. And I was like, if you turn that on, I'm jumping out of this window. I was just over it. I was like, I'm going to kill myself before I have to have any more Pitocin. Yeah. And I was still at five centimeters. We're now like 24 hours into my induction and I'm at five centimeters. I had started to get to six and then my cervix swelled and yeah. started to close back up on me. And that's what happens uh, when we have too high of Pitocin and your yeah. body's not ready. So the baby's head is high. And the baby's head will kind of like push down on your cervix and come up. And instead of opening your cervix, meaning it's applying the head to the cervix, if it's kind of like, you know, up and down because it's not, the head isn't engaged, the cervix gets irritated by, oh, it's hyper irritable. It gets irritated by that Pitocin, by those strong surges and by the head kind of knocking against it. And it swells. Yeah, this is I called... was really devastated when I heard that. And at that point... My blood pressure had started to go back up again. And my doctor was like, look, the last thing that we can do at this point, it was a new doctor. And unfortunately, it was the one doctor in the practice that I had seen out of all the doctors that I told my husband, I was like, I never want to see her again. She has the worst bedside manner. She treated me like a 21 year old who was pregnant and I don't like her. I hope, I hope that I'm not in the hospital with her. And of course, that's who was on call. So she comes in and she's like, all right, this is the last thing we can do for your blood pressure before we have to go to the OR. Like, I really need you to ask for the epidural. So I finally was like, fine, whatever, like just get them out. So I got the epidural and it started to work. And I was like, wow, this is pretty nice. I don't know. I don't know what's so bad about the epidural. This is pretty great. And then 30 minutes later from the time it started working, Eli had horrible D cells. I was going to say, I know into the forties. I know from a doula's perspective, I'm like, I know what's coming up. 
Because yeah. they also, they gave you an epidural mm-hmm. and then they probably put something inside of you called an intrauterine pressure catheter, which is to see how strong, because your water was broken, to see how strong your contractions were. And then they were probably like, oh, the contractions aren't like a- adequate. And so they upped your Pitocin. Whether you knew any of this was going on or not, as a doula for 16 years, I know that that's what they did. When they got you to get an epidural, they then increased the Pitocin with this algorithm from the pressure of how strong the surges are compared to how much Pitocin they're giving you. And babies, we don't know, cords probably wrapped around the neck or they're laying on the cord because we've taken their amniotic fluid away and the cord gets compressed. And now you're doing these really strong Pitocin contractions and whoop, heart starts decelerating. Like this is just classic, right? And if you're the mom, you're like the last thing you want to hear on a monitor is your baby's heart rate going into the 40s because then it becomes all about baby and not about you. Right, right, exactly. I mean, it was, I remember like alarms going off and then nurses came in. One nurse was gowning up my husband. One nurse was, uh, I guess, washing my belly. I had an oxygen mask on And she was washing my belly. And then my doctor was standing behind her explaining like, all right, we're getting the OR ready. We have to do a C-section. The baby's heart is just not handling your contractions well. We'll be in the OR in about five minutes. So I just was like, wait, what? Like what's happening? You know, Um, it just, it happened so fast. Like it wasn't even being said to me before I was getting prepped. They were prepping my husband and me at the same time I was finding out. To go back to your analogy of like being in the trunk of a car, it's now like you're in the trunk of the car and they put Bose earphones on you and they're talking to you from the outside while they then put the car in a car wash. And you're like, what the fuck is happening right now? Exactly. I just like, I had no idea what was going on. It just happened so quickly. And so we had five minutes and, you know, they left the room. I was like, I need a second before you take me. And my husband and I cried and we said a prayer and I took a quick picture of him in his gown so that he could post it and tell our family, you know, hey, things aren't going the way that we we planned. We're we're headed back to the OR now. So he could keep everyone updated. So I, I snapped a quick pic of him and you could tell he had been crying. My husband never cries. I think he's cried like four or five times ever in the eight years that I've known him. And that was one of them. Yeah. He was Um, really worried about you and your baby. He definitely was. And then, you know, I went back to the OR first and he came back after. I remember there was like lots of conversations going on in the room that were not about my birth, just nurses and the doctor just talking about you know, their weekend and things like that. And my husband came in and then they pulled him out. I remember my doctor saying, oh, wow, you were all baby. And I was like, I hope that he's not 68 pounds because I had gained a lot of weight in my pregnancy. And they never lifted him up over the curtain. And the way that the OR is set up at this hospital, the warming table is on the feet end of the woman on the table. So I did not see him at all 
he didn't cry until they gave him his Vic K. So I'm laying on the table, getting put back together. And then, you know, after the baby comes out, they give you more anesthesia. So now I'm like shaking all over. I'm cold. I look at the anesthesiologist and I'm like, am I dying? I think I'm going into shock. And he's like, no, honey, it's just the meds. He was actually really kind. And he was, um, he grabbed my phone and gave it to my husband. And he was like, go take a picture of your baby. And so my husband got up and he went to the warming table and he got pictures and a video of him getting weighed for the first time. And I was crying because he hadn't cried. So I, I still have no idea what's going on. And it wasn't until after, you know, they, they got done and swaddled him up that my husband grabbed him and sat next to me. And that was the first time I saw him, but I was so high. I like had no idea what was going on. And then we went back to the recovery room. So he was born at 7.58 PM and I got into, into recovery a little after nine. And that was the first time that I held my baby. And I have a picture on my phone where my eyes are not even open because I'm so drugged up. And I literally do not remember like the first two weeks of his life because of all the painkillers, which I think is probably the thing that upsets me most about my C-section. Savannah, I am so sorry that this happened to you. And trust me, it ha- something happened to you. So many things could have been different with, I don't know, advocacy, a different hospital, a care team that was congruent or consistent. This is why I am a doula. This is why you're becoming a doula, right? So that this doesn't happen. This doesn't happen to someone else. I want to take a minute to let anyone listening know that on my website, birthstory.com for free is a birth plan template for a gentle cesarean section and a birth plan template for an induction and a birth plan template for spontaneous labor where I give my suggestions so that if you find yourself in a situation where you have to be induced and you didn't think you were going to be induced or you have to have a gentle cesarean, things like on my gentle cesarean plan, it's like no conversation. In this OR, I also work in neurosurgery in the operating room. So I'm around it a lot, not not just as a doula, but in my other professional life, you know, like like we're not walking into the OR with a mom who's awake and talking about like the football game this weekend. Like we are our only job is to create a soothing, relaxing, calming, loving environment for the belly birth of this you know, life that's coming into this world. And so I just want to put that out there. Like if anyone's listening and you're like, oh my gosh, I don't want this to happen to me. Like go to my website and get yourself a free birth plan template for gentle cesarean and for induction so that you have a backup plan in your bag, just in case. Those are legal documents, which is why Savannah, I asked you if you had a birth plan. Mm -hmm. When you turn in a birth plan, it's a legal document and you can use it against the hospital later if you need to. So if you these were your informed consent decisions in labor, there's no such thing as informed consent. And so we go back to our legal document of our informed consent document, which is our birth plan. If something isn't honored, just so everybody listening knows. Yeah, I definitely made, um, and and even with him, I still had like a emergency C-section plan and, and stuff like that, where my husband was to cut the cord and I got immediate skin to skin in the OR. And obviously that did not happen. So you just got hijacked and I don't know why. Really, 
I really did. And I, I honestly, I really don't know either. Like it wasn't like I was dying. I wasn't, you know, under general anesthesia. I was awake. I was there. Even when I told my midwife's backup doctor about my birth story, when I saw him with my second pregnancy with Noah, he was like, oh my God, like that should have never happened to you. I'm so sorry that it happened to you. I'm Uh, really sorry that it happened to you too, but this makes me, you know, excited to go to work today as a doula so that I can just keep helping this not happen to at least one more person here. Yeah. You know, I'm about a doula that is once like a week. My but, goal you know. is like to tell my story. And if I can help one person not have that experience, not feel like they were kidnapped or under medical abuse, then yeah. I have done my job and my trauma is worth something, you know? And that is why we are recording today, because the other side of Savannah's story is redemption through a home birth after cesarean section, where Savannah was able to take back control of what had happened to her. I am interrupting this amazing birth story to remind you about Melissa Euler Coaching and thanking her for sponsoring this episode. The way you can get a hold of Melissa is by going to melissauler.com. That is M-E-L-I-S-S-A-U-H-L-I-R.com or following her on Instagram at Melissa Euler. And don't forget, if you book a discovery call, mention Birth Story Podcast for a free one-on-one coaching session with her, a $200 value if you book a package with her. All right, now back to this birth story. And so, Savannah, I want to like turn now this story. We've gone into it. We've talked about medical trauma. Now you've heard everybody. You can't unhear it. Hire a doula. Have an <laughs> Hire advocacy. Yeah. Yes. Have an advocacy plan. Get ready for having to speak up for yourself or have someone to speak up for you. It is possible to have preeclampsia and to have a beautiful, soft, sweet induction and or gentle cesarean where you don't experience medical abuse and trauma. And I know that because I work with a lot of obstetricians and midwives who honor the process in the hospital setting, but you need a lot of advocacy. I would definitely not ever do another hospital birth without hiring a doula. Me either. If people have been listening to the podcast for a long time, they know that I didn't have like a real doula for the first half of my first birth. And that went disastrous. My doula, Mm -hmm. I kind of got a doula at the end of my birth that saved me, but she just happened to be walking the hallways while I was losing my bananas. And I was like, I need help. I'm sorry. I didn't hire a doula. I didn't have any money. I just, it was a financial decision. I didn't have any money. And then there she was and she was an angel and she stayed and she did it for free and it was amazing. So everybody that's awesome. find a doula, even a community doula, a doula in training, like sliding scale. There are ways to afford a doula. All right. So let's talk about home birth. So here we are. It's like 2019 or 2020, a couple years later, yeah. and you're pregnant okay. again. Mm-hmm. And this um, time I, I you're got like... Pregnant on- Christmas with Eli and I got pregnant on Thanksgiving with Noah. Oh, wow. <laughs> we know when you guys like to get intimate. <laughs> oh, holiday babies. Well, that's so funny. I got pregnant on Thanksgiving also. 
with Jagger on Thanksgiving. He was born August 21st. So when was Noah? So was, so was Noah. Noah was born August 21st. Oh my and it was gosh. my due date and my husband's birthday. Oh my God. So cool. What a key, neat <laughs> connection. Oh my gosh. It was like we were on vacation in New York City for Thanksgiving and I totally got pregnant. And then yeah, August 21st. And that was the day that Hawaii, August 21st is the day that Hawaii became a state. And um, my husband and his family are from Hawaii. And so my my kid's middle name is Kai, which means ocean in Hawaiian. So That's I didn't know. so cool. So if you didn't know that about August 21st, it's the day Hawaii but that became is a so state. Cool. <laughs> so you get pregnant on holidays. Yes. <laughs> and tell me, had you already started to like think, okay, we're going to do a home birth this time? So about six months after I had Eli, I was big on, if you watch birth tube on Facebook, um, where the women, women give birth live on Facebook in this community called birth tube. And I'm obsessed. I actually watched the founder of the group give birth on Facebook live at home when I was hospitalized for that preeclampsia watch. And I was like, wow, that looks really awesome. Ever since then, I just like grew an obsession for watching birth videos and reading birth stories, especially home and birth center births. And I told my husband by the time Eli was like six months old, I was like, if I ever have the courage to go through childbirth again, I'm doing it at home. Like there's no question to it. And he was like, I support that. I agree with you. So I never had to get him on board, which was great. What are some of the resources that you could recommend? Like if somebody's listening right now and they're like, yeah, home birth. Like what are some of the like besides birth tube, like what are some of the home birth podcasts or home birth books that you really kind of dove into that helped you that could help someone else? So I did read Ina Mae Gaskin's Guide to Childbirth. I really liked that book. I listened to your podcast. I listened to Doing It at Home podcast. I've listened to a podcast called Birth Naturally, I think. And I follow like all these different home birth Facebook groups and Instagrams of different midwives, like the Barefoot Midwife and... Oh, she's so good. Mm -hmm. Oh my gosh, yes. And I just love looking at all these pictures where if you look at the pictures of me after I had Eli, I just looked like I was in absolute agony and high off my ass. And when I saw these women just like beaming, like after having a natural childbirth with, you know, no drugs, I was like, I want that. I need that. I need it. It's not that I want it. I need it. It can be very healing and therapeutic. I was going to actually add, there's another podcast too called the Happy Home Birth Podcast. Oh yeah. I listened to that one too. (laughs) Yeah. That one's good. Okay. So you are like six months after you have given birth, you are like healing, you're preparing. You're like, okay, if we do this again, we're going to definitely do it the home birth route. And then you find out you're pregnant like after Thanksgiving. And so right away was your husband on board. My son was 26 months old when I found out that I was pregnant with Noah. Okay. I was actually surprised. So the night before I took the pregnancy test, I was like, okay, I think that I'm, I'm brave enough to get pregnant again. I think that I'm informed enough to to have a better childbirth, but I don't want to have another summer baby. So let's wait a few more months and then get pregnant in the spring. So I don't have another summer baby. 
I was already three days late at this point in time, but I was just like, <laughs> oh, I'm not pregnant. And, and the next day before he went to work, he was like, I think you need to take a pregnancy test. I was like, I am not pregnant. He was like, I think that you are. So you should go get a pregnancy test. And I did. I went and took one. I took another one and I was like, oh my God. Okay. Well, um, August it is, I guess. <laughs> August it is. And August 21st was your actual due date? Due date. Mm-hmm. Okay. Wow. From the ultrasound that I had, they gave me an August 21st due date. Okay. I did actually go back to the OB clinic that I had had, had Eli at to get just a dating scan because I was having some really bad, crampy, one-sided pain and a little bit of spotting. And I was like, oh my gosh, my mom's had an ectopic, so I need to go get this checked out. And I just had what do they call it? A luteal cyst. The yeah, the cyst that helps form the placenta. It causes me pain on my ovaries because I have all that endo scar tissue. But everything was fine, and they told me I was due August twenty first. So I came home and I put my. I got one of my friends who made like vinyl, and I put my son in this um, promoted to Big Brother t-shirt and we were cooking dinner when my husband came in from work and he was he just started cracking up laughing like this nervous laugh and he was like are you serious and I was like yeah he was like that's awesome I was like I'm so glad you're happy about it I'm a little I'm a little nervous about a summer baby but it's fine it's fine Oh, that's just because it's so miserable in Tennessee to be pregnant (laughs) and very pregnant. It's so hot and so humid here. Hopefully um, you just sat in a pool somewhere. I I did. My in-laws have a pool, so I spent a lot of time in their pool. So did you guys just kind of like high five and then say like home birth? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I basically was like, I need to find a midwife. And he was like, okay. And I was like, all right, I'm going to start calling some. And then like the next day I started calling around. I talked to like three midwives over the phone. One midwifery group that I had heard a lot of good things about wasn't taking any due dates in August because that's like their months off, I guess. And I ended up having like two phone interviews and then I had one that wanted to meet me in person and my husband and I went and we met Miss Linda and I hired her on the spot. I was like, I love you. I'm hiring you. So she's with Chosen Births Midwifery and she's in her 70s and has delivered like over 500 babies now. So very, very experienced. And that made me feel super, super comfortable and confident with my decision and and more confident to like, talked to my family who was not really happy with the idea of me having a baby at home. Guess what? Not their body. Yeah, that's basically what it came down to. I was like, look, this is my husband and I's baby. I've done the research. I know that if I walk into a hospital, I'm having a C-section because I know that my mind is not going to work in that environment for my body to do what it needs to do. And I was like, So I've hired a super, super experienced midwife. She gives me this like wonderful grandmotherly vibe. I I just love her. She's just so sweet. She's an angel. And that's what we're going to do. So that's the end of the story. And I was like, if anyone has questions about like the logistics or the what ifs, I'm happy to address those. Otherwise, if you have a negative opinion, keep it to yourself. 
Good for you. Listen to you finding your voice. Yeah. That's healing, right? When we have experienced (laughs) trauma and we get to the other side and we rise, we have that powerful voice and you've got it, Savannah. So tell me about like the midwifery model of care for prenatal visits. Oh my gosh. It was so awesome. So she came to my house for all of my appointments, which was epic for having a three-year-old at home or a, you know, a two and a half year old, no waiting in a waiting room. She would just come over and we would chat for like an hour. I could ask any questions I want. She would do, you know, the fetal Doppler and the fundal height measurements. She would ask me my weight, but she never, like if I told her I didn't weigh myself today, she would just, it wasn't a big deal. So that was really nice because I had a little bit of body dysmorphia going on and um, it was nice to just kind of feel like weight wasn't a, a huge deal. And she knew that I was working out five or six days a week. So she was pretty confident that everything was going well. I just loved it. Like we would, it wasn't like a, oh, okay, this is the heart rate. This is your fundal height measurement. I'll see you in four weeks. It was an hour long appointment at my house. And, you know, it could be anything from talking about my birth plans and the baby or just talking about my first birth or even just me talking about like how I wanted to be in birth work. And so I just loved it just kind of it felt more like a friendship than it, it than it did like a get in and out kind of deal like an OBGYN does. Yeah, it's definitely a relationship. You can't be a home birth midwife and run into someone at the grocery store and not know who they are, who their partner is, who all their children are. You're going to know every single thing about them, much like a doula, you know, because it's a relationship you enter into. It just sounds so wonderful. I wish I could have had a home birth. Oh my gosh. As a doula, that was not in the cards for me, but I just love hearing these stories, Savannah. Okay, so I'm feeling your power now. See, my voice is changing. I'm like, okay, I'm excited. I'm like, you're rising. You've got your power. You're in these beautiful hour-long prenatal visits. Like you and your husband are a team. Like everyone is like, well, forget your family, but you've got a bubble of peace around you, protecting you from any negative thoughts or energy. And you're like growing Noah. And let's not forget it's COVID. So what yeah. what safer place to be than at home, you know? Exactly. And I had made this decision before COVID started. Like I hired her in December and then COVID hit around like late March, I guess. So I had already made that choice first. And I was really glad that I did because a lot of moms, as I'm sure you know, switched to home birth because of COVID. Oh yes, um, they so a did. Lot of midwives are very overwhelmed on their on their client base. Yeah. But so I already had a relationship with her. I'd already, you know, spent a couple of years doing the research and listening to the podcasts and reading the stories and watching the videos. I knew exactly what I wanted. And because I had had the history of preeclampsia, I had done research after having him too about like how can I prevent a reoccurrence of that. And the biggest thing that I found was the brewer's diet. So I followed a loosely based brewer's diet, which if anyone's listening to this, it's basically high protein diet with as much salt as, as tastes good. And you always think like, Oh, you're supposed to avoid salt because salt makes you swell. Well, apparently 
over drinking water is actually really not good for a pregnant body. So I followed the brewer's diet. I worked out five or six days a week at home. I started listening to a podcast called Healing Birth and I follow their Instagram and that was helping me like go through the work of working through the trauma that I had had with Eli. I started doing teletherapy twice a week for my PTSD. I was taking hypno babies. I was going to a chiropractor. I was reading all of the books. I was meditating every day. I had like a good schedule going on for self-care. I was getting massages. I was doing all the things, like all the things to have this healthy pregnancy and birth. And it just was night and day compared to Eli's pregnancy. I hated being pregnant with Eli, loved being pregnant with Noah. I felt very connected, very at peace and just very attached. I was like hoping that I would go past 41 weeks so I could just drag it out as long as I could. What an amazing feeling, right? To like hope that you could be pregnant even longer to like keep experiencing this like amazing occurrence happening in your body. Like what a different shift. And you had all the tools and you were informed and you were educated and you were prepared. And so like that is the darn point of this podcast, right? Is like, how can we spoon feed all of this, these recipes and this formula to moms on pregnancy number one, right? And not everyone needs to have a home birth, right? But like all of the things that you just mentioned, these are things that anybody can do to prepare in advance, no matter where you're birthing. Yes, exactly. So, okay. So we know you didn't go to 41 weeks. What my audience always wants to know is you didn't go into spontaneous labor with number one. So on number two, how did you know you were in labor? I had gotten, I think every woman goes through this really emotional point towards the end of pregnancy where you're like in between pregnancy and motherhood or in between pregnancy and motherhood of two or subsequent. And I was so emotional and I was like, I'm going to be pregnant forever and I'm going to end up having to be induced again. And I was just sobbing. I spent Thursday morning in my shower, just sobbing to my husband messaging my doula friend Zoe and just being like, what if I'm pregnant forever? This is horrible. And I had not otherwise felt like that. So I was like, I think that I need to just accept these feelings. And I just sat down and I wrote a letter to Noah about how I was feeling, um, about how overwhelmed I was and how excited to meet him I was. And I just really needed that release, I guess. So my best friend came over on Thursday, the 20th to hang out with me because I was just so emotional. And she was like, you should plan something to do tomorrow for your due date and maybe over the weekend. So I was like, that's a good idea. I'm going to take Eli to mom's day out. He goes to mom's day out every Friday. And I was like, I'm going to take him and I'm going to go get my nails done, get a massage. Maybe this weekend I'll go to brunch and go kayaking to celebrate my husband's birthday like we do every year. And which people thought was crazy to go kayaking uh, at 40 weeks pregnant. No, because <laughs> then you dip out of that kayak and go swimming and it feels amazing <laughs> in August. Come on. Yeah. Yes, exactly. So Thursday, when my friend was getting ready to leave around five o'clock, I started having like Braxton Hicks every like 10 minutes or so. And it just kept happening all night. So I was like, 
well, maybe I need more water. I don't know. So I like drank some water and I took a Unisom because I had taken like Unisom and B6 my whole pregnancy for nausea. And so I took a Unisom. I was like, if these aren't Braxton Hicks, I know that I need sleep. So I finally fell asleep around 11 o'clock at night. And at like 3 a.m., I kept waking up like every, I don't even know, probably 10, it might've been less than 10 minutes, but I hadn't looked at my phone and I kept having these like bad stomach cramps. And I was like, okay, well, maybe I need to go to the bathroom. I did not. So I got back in bed and it's like four o'clock in the morning and I can't lay down anymore. I'm sitting on my hands and knees and I was like, I need to start timing these. I'm like moaning (laughs) and And they're one to two minutes apart. The most, the furthest apart they got was like two minutes and 30 seconds. So I was like, I'm going to take a shower. And so I got up and I took a shower and I'm standing in the bathroom, like swaying, still timing my contractions. My husband's alarm goes off for work at 445 and he walks in and he was like, uh, good morning. I was like, yeah, I think you need to call your boss. I'm pretty sure you're not going to go to work today because we're going to have a baby. (laughs) Oh, I love it. Uh And then I'm like, oh, and happy birthday, by the way. I'm so, I was wondering if you were going to (laughs) remember to say happy (laughs) birthday. (laughs) So it's his birthday and we go outside and we're watering the plants or he's watering the plants and I'm curb walking at this point. And I'm like, I'm going to let these contractions go on for like a full hour of timing them before I call my midwife. Were they still one to two? And I'm not in labor. Oh my gosh. You're so in labor, but were they still one to two? Yeah. Oh my gosh. Okay. So I'm sitting here like curb walking and I'm like, my husband's watering the flowers. And I'm like, what if they get here and I'm not in labor? That's going to be so embarrassing. He was like, I really think that you should call your midwife. I was like, I will in like like 20 minutes. (laughs) For anyone listening, if you're one to two minutes apart and you're moaning, (laughs) moaning, you are, you are in labor, girl. (laughs) Just like low moaning though. Like I could still kind of talk through my contractions. So I'm like, you know, I had never experienced spontaneous labor. So I was like, I don't know what's happening. Um, You were probably like, this is a piece of cake. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I really was. I really was. I was like, this is awesome. I, this feels great. So that's why I was questioning if I was even in labor and my husband's doing dishes and I called my midwife and they show up at like my midwife. I called her. I woke her up at 5am and she's like, what's up? I was like, I think I'm in labor. She was like, can you send me a screenshot of your contraction timer? I'm like, yeah. So I send it to her and she's like, all right, we'll be there in 20 minutes. And she was uh, not messing around. No, she knew. And so her and her partner showed up at like 5.30, 5.45 maybe. And they came in my bedroom and I lay back on the bed and got my cervix checked for the first time. Oh, I want to rewind real quick because I asked my midwife at 39 weeks and four days at my appointment to do a sweep. I had not had any cervical checks my whole pregnancy because I think they're pointless. So I had asked for a sweep at 39 and four and I couldn't get it done because I was zero centimeters. And that's that's why I started getting really emotional that I was going to go to 42 weeks pregnant and have to get induced. So it's very interesting too, because a lot of the home birth midwives here I mean, of course, it's informed consent and you're asking for something that you want, but they would have talked you out of it here. She, My midwife's she did here. try to talk me out of it. She did try to talk me out of it. Um, but I was like, I really, 
I really want it. I really want to make, I'm super nervous that I'm going to go too far over and I just really want to try it. So you have to be a fingertip dilated. So like a half to one centimeter. It's better if it's one centimeter, but you have to be a fingertip dilated to be able to get to the, to separate the bag of water from the top of the cervix. So yeah, that's and a good I was point. zero centimeters. So yes. I was like, oh my God, I'm never going to go into labor. And of course I did. <laughs> you did. Two days later. Savannah, will uh, you define one more thing for the audience? I know what it is, but I would like you to tell everyone what curb walking is. I went out in front of my house and you have one foot up on the curb, like on your sidewalk and then one foot down on the street. So you're walking back and forth in this teeter tottering motion that rocks your pelvis to help the baby descend and and get into the best position. Very effective. There's more information on curb walking at milescircuit.com, which is just M-I-L-E-S circuit.com too. So it's 545. They're in the bedroom. You lay down and you're getting your second. This is only your second cervical exam for your whole pregnancy. Yes. So I lay back and she goes, honey, you're having a baby today. You're six centimeters. And I started boohooing because like I told you with my first birth, I never really got all the way to six. I started to swell. So I just started boohooing and I started saying, thank God, thank God, thank God this is happening. I'm going to have my baby at home. My body's doing what it should. I'm just bawling. Just absolutely ecstatic. And my husband was standing at the door. He was like, I'm going to make some coffee. (laughs) I texted my photographer who was at my first birth. She's a good friend of mine. And she was like, okay, I'm on my way. And my husband made coffee. I got out stuff for breakfast. I ate myself like a banana and like a cliff bar. And got my TENS unit out, which is like static electrode pads, put them on my back and turned on some music. And I was just jamming out. It was awesome. We're just hanging out. My photographer, me, my midwives, they're all just like, I think that's the coolest thing about having a home birth is like, nobody is like trying to do anything to you except for like randomly check the baby's heart tones and So it just kind of felt like a a girl's day, plus my husband just hanging out. And at like eight o'clock, my husband went upstairs and got our son and started making him breakfast. And my midwives were airing up the birth pool in my bedroom. And my husband goes to hook up the hose to the shower and it broke, our shower had broke off in the wall. And I'm like, oh my God. Um, I'm like, what do we do? My husband is so angry and I'm like, okay, I know what to do. I called one of my neighbors and one of my friends. I was like, I need five gallon buckets now. (laughs) And my neighbor sent her kids door to door looking for buckets. They came over with one. And then another one of my friends went to Home Depot and picked up some buckets. And so we filled up our birth pool by pouring buckets of hot water into it. And I thought it was hilarious. I was like, this would happen. Like this is just, my husband was standing in the bathroom kind of like mad because he had broken our shower. And I was like, look, I understand this is a problem, but I'm literally having a baby right now. So you need to change your attitude. And he was like, (laughs) okay. (laughs) And... And so he did. And, How like um, and genius I'm... to come up with that like so quickly, like just solution <laughs> yeah. mode. 
Yeah, I just was like, I and my midwives were like, we could just like fill up the pool in the kitchen to the kitchen sink. I was like, no, I have the candles and the the affirmations and I've just redone my whole bedroom just for this. Like, no bedroom. So, you know, they started filling it up and my son's walking around and helping my husband fill it up and he leaves to take him to school. I get in the pool And I just remember like when my son walked out of the room to go to school, I just cried. And I was like, Eli, when you get home, you're going to have the biggest surprise. And I was just crying. I was like, this is the last time my baby leaves the house and only child. So it was a really sweet moment to have at my house. And I got in the pool. It was amazing. It was so relaxing had my music on, but I was like, I am not getting out of this pool. It felt so good. And so I got in the pool, I guess, around 9 a.m. And mind you, my waters were still intact. When I got checked at six centimeters, they were bulging. So I had tried sitting on my birth ball, but that was not comfortable with the bulging water. So uh, toilet, that's where we say go to the toilet, do a squat. Yeah, I had gotten in the birth pool for a while. I got out at one point in time to have a bowel movement. I was like, I better not be like pushing. Cause like, I do not want to have my baby on the toilet. I want to have a water birth. Okay. But I actually just had to use the restroom. So that's so important because like, usually when you feel this like pressure, like, like you have to poop a lot of times that's like the baby's head. But like, I always tell my moms, you know, the difference between like, I need to poop and I need to push a baby out. Like, yeah, so it's different. <laughs> I looked at my midwife. I was like, could I actually just need to poop? And she was like, yes, yes, go to the bathroom. So my husband got home and I'm just hanging out, getting in and out of the pool. He's helping with like hip squeezes when I needed them. And what do you call it? Counter pressure for like the back pain that I was having. But ultimately, like I was literally, there's so many pictures of me just smiling and laughing in the bird pool. I was like around... 12 ish, maybe 11 or 12. I'm like, I want to get checked again. I think that nothing is happening. Like I have stalled out. I'm not progressing anymore. Cause I felt the same as I did in the morning. And like when my midwives got here, I walked out to greet them and they were like, maybe she's not in labor. So like, I was just in a good mood and things did not feel very intense. So I get out of the pool. I get checked now for the second time in labor, third time my whole pregnancy. And she's like, you're eight and a half centimeters, maybe nine. And I was like, what? This is what that feels like? Are you kidding me? <laughs> like, I'm just, I'm having a good time here. Um, it's so different than Pitocin. It, it's, yes, it you is can't so even compare different. It. Spontaneous labor, so much easier than my induction and just being at home and like having the hot water and just joking around and laughing and talking and listening to music. I was at the point where like I couldn't talk during a contraction, but the thing that I really focused on the most um, as far as like preparing for this was to just soak in the moment and be totally in it. Like during my contractions, I would just be like, all right, it's time to do this work. And when the contraction would subside, I would just let it go. I wouldn't be like, wow, that was hard. Or, oh, there's another one coming. I would just, just be like, all right, time to relax, time to laugh, time to have a drink, eat, whatever. And that helped immensely. Like that's my number one 
tip to anyone is to just, to just totally be, um, in the moment and to be present. So such good advice, Savannah. It was super chill and my waters were still bulging and intact. She was like, I can feel his head right there, like right there, but your waters are still intact. And so I was like, what I was like, would breaking my water help any? And she was like, okay, that is an intervention. I would feel comfortable doing it if you wanted me to, because I do feel his head right there. I don't feel a cord or anything. It could speed things up. I feel pretty confident that, that you would have no issues at this point as, as far along as you are, but it is an intervention and that's totally up to you. And I was like, all right, let's, let's not do that yet. So I decided to get out of the pool for a while, go to the living room and do like some supported squats where my whole husband was like holding my forearms and I was kind of squatting and just kind of walking and swaying. And it was so uncomfortable. I was like, yeah, I'm getting back in the water. <laughs> I got back in and like 30 minutes later, I was like, you know what? I, I like intuitively, I think that my body is telling me that I need my waters broken. Like it just like was screaming at me, like do it. So it was totally my decision. I was like, all right, Linda, I want you to break my water. So, um, she was like, okay, we can do that. And with the next contraction, she used the amnio hook and broke my water and oh it was such a huge relief <laughs> it was it was like oh yes people have a misconception that when your water breaks or is broken that the surges get more intense and i'm like that is when your water is broken artificially right like but when you're yeah. at the very end like you are. So like, let's air quote, you're about, bo- you're, you were broken artificially, right? But like, yes. you're broken artificially, like right before delivery. That's yes. different when we break our water, when we're like four centimeters to get going. So like, yeah. This so one, when she broke my water, I was like 10 with a cervical lip. So yes. I like, I was just waiting <laughs> so, on that cervical lip. Yeah. So that is like, it is like a relief. You're like, oh, and then the baby come falls down even deeper into your pelvis and you're like, yeah, let's push. <laughs> yeah. So like maybe, I don't know, around like 2 PM, I was like starting to grunt in my contractions and I was like vomiting. And I, I wasn't super upset about the vomiting because I remember like of all the birth stories I heard, like vomiting helps you dilate. So I was like, all right, vomit away. <laughs> and I was drinking sports drinks. Uh, I was drinking body armor and my husband was putting like a cold washcloth on my head. At this point, it was very intense. I just still, I still had that cervical lip and I guess my body was telling me like not to push for a while. So at like two o'clock, I start grunting and I'm like, I think that I'm pushing without even knowing it. I'm pushing for a while and I'm switching like hands and knees, kind of like squatting and leaning back in my birth pool. And I just feel like, like nothing's happening. So my midwife, she starts pushing back the cervical lip with her fingers inside of me while I was pushing. And that was really intense. It was really hard work, but it helped. It got his head through my cervix and, and down into the vaginal canal. And I mean, I was not very good at pushing. I was like screaming and I was, 
I was so afraid that I was going to tear that I was like really trying to stay like breathy, I guess, and not, not fully bearing down with everything that I had. So I ended up pushing for two hours. Okay. And it didn't feel like two hours. Time was going by pretty quickly. I'm not going to lie. It wasn't like unbearable. The cervical lip was, was the hardest part. And then I ended up like in a supported squat position. I had my midwife's partner with her arms under my armpits. And then my husband was kind of next to me. And I remember at one point thinking like, why am I doing this to myself? Like I could have gotten an epidural. Like why, why am I still doing this? This is impossible. I must need a C-section. I can't get a baby out of my body. It's just not going to happen. And then my midwife, Linda was like, put your hand down there. You'll feel his head. It's right there. And I stuck my hand down and like literally one knuckle inside of me was this little fuzzy squishy ball. And I was like, I just started crying. I was like, I'm doing it. I'm doing it. There's no backing out. I'm doing it. And then I really started giving it everything I could. And his head, you know, was going in and out and in and out. And I finally, at one point was like, it burns. Holy shit. It burns. It burns so bad. (laughs) And I knew that that was a good thing. I remember like in all the birth stories that I had heard, it was like, when you feel that burning, don't fight it. Surrender to it because it's only going to last a little while and then your baby will be with you. So I, I surrendered. I just started breathing through the burning. And at one point, my midwife was like, okay, hun, if you don't get his head out in the next like two contractions, we're going to have to get out of the water and get onto the bed. And I was like, hell no. Rawr. I like roared this baby out of me and his head came out and my husband was, my midwife had no hands on. My husband was holding his head and during like the external rotation and he was like, babe, his head is in my hands. He's just beaming. He's like, look, here, here he is. I've got his head in my hands. I reached down and I feel his little ear and I was like, okay, okay. I still got work to do. Like I wanted to be excited, but I was like, on fire as the aptly named ring of fire. Mm -hmm. And so I was like really just focusing and I had my hand down there with him and he's just so excited. And then the next push, the, the body comes out and he was born and I'm just in complete shock. I'm like sitting there and my husband and I are holding him under the water, just looking at him. I finally pull him up to my chest, lean back, and sit down and we get, my midwife gives him a little bit of stimulation because he's not really crying yet. His eyes were open, but he was a little floppy and blue. So the other midwife listened to his heart rate and she looked at me and she was like, okay, I'm going to give him a couple puffs of, of oxygen. Okay. And they never took him off my chest. She put the bag on his face, gave him a couple puffs, and then he started wailing away. And I was just like, wow, if I had been in the hospital, like they would have just ripped him away from me. So that was really cool. It never felt, I never felt any bit of fear at all in that moment of, of getting the oxygen because his, his cord was still pulsing blood to him. And I knew like that's oxygenated. So it wasn't clamped and I just felt really good about that. And then I just started crying. I was like, I did it. I did it. I did it. Oh my God, I did it. 
I'm yes, just boohooing. So I, I just could not stop saying I did it. And my husband's like, yeah, baby, you did it. And he's just petting my head and we're just sitting there just in awe. And, and then I started cramping again. I was like, oh no, no, the placenta is coming out. <laughs> I was like, I don't want to do this right now. To much to my surprise, placentas don't have bones and they don't feel bad to come out. <laughs> so it comes out and they start massaging my belly, making sure I'm not hemorrhaging. And some point, like, I guess maybe 10 minutes after the placenta was born, I was like, okay, I think I'm ready for Jordan to cut the cord. So nobody pressured me on when to do that. Nobody asked any questions. I was just like, at peace and made that decision on my own. I was like, I think I'm ready to get out. I want to cut the cord. And so my husband, he goes, do I need to get scissors? Because they're, they might be kind of dirty. And everyone just started <laughs> cracking up. And my midwives were like, no, we have, we, we have, have sterile scissors. <laughs> oh my gosh. This is so funny. So I love this. So you delivered the placenta before. So it's baby cord placenta all on the outside still connected. Mm -hmm. And then your husband cut the cord. These are yes. the most beautiful, my favorite. There's a, a common misconception in the hospital birth that like your placenta isn't going to come out unless you cut the cord. And I'm like, oh no, what? That, yeah. I'm like, no, like you can birth your placenta, then cut the cord. Like you're assured that your baby gets all that amazing cord blood and that exchange. So, oh my gosh. Yes. So I was really glad that I, I did that that way. And that was something that was really big that I felt like we missed out on with the first birth was my husband getting to cut the cord. Cause that's such a big thing for the, for the partner. I feel like that's like one of the biggest things that they can do. And you can totally have that even if you have a C-section by the way. So he was born at 3.53 PM. And I finally got out of the pool, waddled over to my bed, laid down, and I initiated breastfeeding on my own. Nobody had to help me with that. Again, I did like study some lactation and I also breastfed my first baby for 22 months. So that was really awesome to just kind of be at peace. My midwives were cleaning everything up, finishing up their notes, and my husband and I are just laying in my own bed, like super comfortable, the two of us together or three of us together. And I'm like wrapped all up in a towel and laying on this Medipad. And it was just blissful. About an hour later, my photographer like was getting ready to go home. So I was like, okay, let's go ahead and do the, the newborn exam. Cause I want a picture of him getting weighed. And so everybody took some guesses. Nobody guessed that he was over eight pounds because he was so like, He's so tiny and skinny looking, but he was eight pounds, two ounces. And then I got checked as well. And I had no tearing. And I was like, are you serious? I was just ecstatic at that. I was like, I knew it. I knew that home birth would make me less likely to tear. And then my husband put a pizza in the oven and they finished cleaning up. And we got in bed and watched the Michael Jordan documentary series and passed out. It was blissful. And like my in-laws had picked up my son from mom's day out and he spent the night over there. So we still had a break from him to just kind of heal and recover. And it was so nice. It was just so every bit of it was literally like every detail of what I would have considered like the idealistic birth was given to me every single 
little aspect of it from the music to the lighting to my husband not having yet left for work to my son being in mom's day out like everything just came together so perfectly so universe was telling you (laughs) to be a doula and to be a birth worker and to gift this experience to those that come behind you I think Savannah I'm really proud of you so many moms would have just had a repeat cesarean section and not found their voice. You are an incredible woman that you did all of the things that you did. And now here you are on this podcast continuing to teach. I am so appreciative of this interview of moving through medical trauma and moving into like really ecstatic birthing. I mean, it really was like, it was so healing for me to a great extent that like, not only did I connect instantly with Noah where I didn't with Eli, but after Noah was born, I felt more connected to Eli as well. Like I instantly just felt this deeper relationship with my first child that I had had healed that trauma. And I felt like I kind of took that trauma and that whole experience with him and put it in a box and buried it and only took with me the things that I learned from it and the experience that I could use to teach other women. And I've had no postpartum depression, no postpartum anxiety. I have no more PTSD flashbacks about my first birth. Like I still really don't like to listen to birth stories that begin with induction, but I'm not triggered like I used to be. So definitely a a very, very healing experience. Amazing. Well, if you're in Memphis, Tennessee, there is a doula in the making and her name is Savannah. And let's have everyone follow you on Instagram at stonies underscore wife. Savannah, before you jump off, can you please just tell us your favorite pregnancy and baby products? Yeah. So my favorite pregnancy product was the kinesiology tape, KT tape. I used it to aid with pelvic pressure. There are some videos and then as well as some doulas and midwives know how to use KT tape to tape your belly and back. It was really great for my SI joint pain. And then towards the end when I had symphys pubic dysfunction, that was really helpful as well. And then my favorite baby product is the Haka silicone milk catcher. I'm obsessed with it. So many of you guys are. So I think yeah, I think yeah. like the Haka and the baby carriers like definitely take the cake on this podcast for like most um, reference. So make sure everybody that they're on your list. Savannah, it has been a wonderful morning spending it with you. I'm very thankful for you. And just Eli and Noah are going to have the best life because you're their mama. Thank you for being on. Thank you so much. Thanks for sticking with us all the way to the end and listening to this incredible verse story. And thanks again to Melissa Euler of Melissa Euler Coaching for sponsoring this episode. If you find yourself at the end of this episode wanting more, needing more, seeking more for your life, for your transitions, for your personal goals, I urge you reach out to Melissa for support at melissauler.com 
M-E-L-I-S-S-A-U-H-L-I-R.com or on social at Melissa Euler. You guys, I'm serious. I had zero dollars two years ago, no job, stay-at-home mom, when I found out it was going to be just me. Today, just two years later, she helped me grow a more than six-figure business. I am thriving as a single mom, and I am so thankful for her coaching. Thank you for listening to Birth Story. My goal is you will walk away from each episode with a clear picture of how labor and delivery might go, and that you will feel empowered by the end of your pregnancy to speak up, plan and prepare for the birth you want, no matter what that looks like. 